0: Have you ever gotten dressed really fast in the morning? Like maybe it's still dark in your house and you're tiptoeing because you don't want to wake up the kids or you don't want to make the dogs bark and you put on a shirt and you button it without realizing it and then this happens? (laughs) Does that ever happen to you? Maybe you go throughout your entire day and like you don't even notice it or nobody points it out to you. I mean, after this first hour, like everyone pointed it out to me because I said that and they're like, I want you to be, not be able to say that, which is cool. I get it. Or maybe you get down to the bottom and you're like, I mean, there's an extra button. Why is there an extra button on my shirt? Like, why did they do that? You know, where's the slot or whatever. And, and you miss the top button and everything is just cattywampus. It's askew. It's misaligned. It doesn't make a, much sense, and I was thinking: Have you ever met anybody that tries to button their shirt kind of from the bottom up? Anybody do that? That's weird. If you do, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how. I don't know how you do it. Like that's a recipe for disaster, I think. But when you get the top button right, everything else kind of just tends to line up. you like you don't have to think about it much anymore. But if for whatever reason this top button is wrong, you're in for a long day. Like if the top isn't right, everything else is out of whack. Now, I'm going to keep it like this. I know that it might bother some of the OCD in here. But I think it can be used as a reminder every time that when the top isn't right, everything else is out of whack. Now we're in this third week of this series, we're calling it Everyday Priorities, and we've been talking about good things in our lives. When good things in our lives become dangerous things because they replace God. And good things like government or politics, or good things like religion and the things of our faith, you know, the what, that can replace the why we do those things in the first place. Jesus, which is the why. And today we're talking about something that I think is good. It's not something that just doesn't seem good, like it is inherently good. It's important. It's vital. We're talking about family. Family is a good thing. Whether we have a good family situation or not, I think we all kind of agree, you know, family is a good thing. We want a healthy family amount of relationships in our lives. We celebrate it. We strive toward a healthy family. But sometimes we kind of allow family and relationships to be the main focus, the top focus, the top button on the shirt. And even though it's an amazing thing, or it can be, it replaces God. And then everything else is out of whack. Because when the top isn't right, everything else is out of whack. And we've been using 1 John 5 21 to kind of help us remember this definition of idolatry. Here it is Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Anything that becomes the top button in our lives, if it's not God, is an idol. Here's kind of our definition of idolatry an idol is anything that replaces God, including good things, including family. An idol is anything that replaces God at the top. And maybe you're thinking, I mean, wait, 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 wait. Like, shouldn't I love my kids? Like, shouldn't I love my... Parents, shouldn't I love my spouse, love my family? And you are 100% absolutely right. As a matter of fact, that's why this is so important. It's precisely because a parent should love a child or a child should love a parent and so on and so on and so on that these relationships can become kind of that top priority. We're doing what we are supposed to be doing. We simply don't realize sometimes that we've gotten things out of order. Now, I'm a pastor, which means I like statistics and studies. This just comes along with the gig, I think. But there was a study done by a research company a couple of years ago called Barna Group, and they asked 1,000 people to choose their most important relationship. How would you answer the question? Like, what is your most important relationship? Like, deep down, if you're being honest, what's the relationship in your life that's the most important to you? Let's go through just a little kind of thought exercise to help us. What relationship do you think the most about? What relationship do you talk the most about? Do you worry the most about? Do you post about the most? You work on the most. You celebrate the most. Like, which is the most important relationship in your life? Now, here are the results of the study. In this study, seven out of ten people chose family over God. One out of three said their entire nuclear family is more important than God. So like one individual in the family might not have been, but you add them all up. Yes, it's more important than God. 22% named their spouse as their most important relationship. 3% their parents, 2% a friend. 19% named God. Not quite two out of ten. So what's your most important relationship? How how would you answer? Because when the top isn't right, everything else is out of whack. And when the top isn't God, I think it leads us towards some unhealthy things. But when the top is God, that doesn't mean you don't need to love your family anymore. What it means is when the top is God, then everything else falls into line. The love for our family becomes greater, healthier, better than it would have before. Now, there's a story in the Bible that speaks to this in a way that kind of makes me uncomfortable, if I'm being honest with you. I have a family. I have three kiddos. Asher, my oldest boy, he is eight. Eliza is five. My other daughter, Ainsley, is two. I always feel really good when I get it all right. Like, I think that's right. Yeah. And at first, when I read this and I think about it, just kind of in the context of family, just as a dad, like I don't really know what to make of this story. But I think if we dig down into the story, we learn a little bit about ourselves and maybe about things that we replace God with in our lives. Maybe we'd learn a little bit about God himself. Now, this story comes from Genesis 22, and it's about a father and a son, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham's the dad, Isaac's the son. And this story is really about, I think, this question what's the most important relationship in your life and what would you do if you were asked to prove it so a little bit about this guy Abraham he's a Pretty important guy in the Bible, actually. God uses Abraham to be the first person in a new nation that God is gonna build. And it's a nation that God is gonna lead and bless and use to kind of interact with the entire world. And it all started just with Abraham. So to make sure that Abe really trusted him, God tested Abraham. It's kinda like testing the foundation of your house. Like if it cracks, if it's crumbling, you don't wanna build on it, right? So God tests good old Abe. And one way that God tested Abraham and his wife Sarah was to say he was going to provide a child for them. But Sarah couldn't have a child. And that was a big deal. That's a big deal. Now it was a big deal culturally then. And Abraham and Sarah, anybody know how long they had to wait? Anybody? 25 years. They had to wait 25 years. For God to keep his promise. And eventually they passed this test. And their son, Isaac, is born. And a little time passes. Isaac grows up a little bit. And then this happens. This is Genesis 22 starting in verse 1. Some time later God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. It's a little ways away. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And if I'm Abraham, I'd be like, excuse me, what? Like, What did you just say? This doesn't make any sense. Now, we know that this is a test. Abraham didn't know that this was a test. God didn't say, hey, take this test. No, what he says is, Abraham, take Isaac whom you love and sacrifice him. And that seems weird. That seems unacceptable. That seems kind of odd. Like human sacrifice, that's, that's not okay, right? Now God actually never requires somebody in the Bible to make a human sacrifice. And actually he condemns it in the Bible, but that part of the Bible hadn't been written yet for Abraham. And Abraham didn't know that it was a test. Only God did. I think this kind of speaks to the heart of this, because what's the most important relationship in your life? But what if you were asked to prove it? And God says it right there. This is what he says. He says, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, God knew exactly how much Abraham and Sarah loved Isaac. They waited for him for 25 years. God knows exactly how much you love your kids or how much you love your boyfriend or girlfriend or how much you love your parents or whatever that most important relationship is in your life. He knows exactly how much you love them or how much you desire it to be healthy. Now I have an eight year old son, Asher, and I've been calling him for whatever reason. I started calling him my best bud when he was really little I've been calling him that his entire life. And I cannot imagine the conflict in my heart if God said this to me, Adam, take your son, your only son, whom you love so much, Asher. I don't know. And that's the point, actually. See, the more we love something, the more capacity it has to be an idol. You know what fascinates me about Abraham He was a super rich guy. Like, filthy rich. But God didn't really test him there. He didn't ask him to sacrifice his money. He didn't ask him to sacrifice his wife. Answer whatever joke you want right there. My wife goes to this church. I'm not touching it. (laughs) God knew, though, that if there was anything that replaced God in Abraham's heart, It was actually this amazing gift from God. So what happens in the story? Well, early, the very next morning, Abraham gets up. He wakes Isaac up. And they set off with some servants to do exactly what God is asking them to do. Can you imagine what that walk was like? And finally, they reach this destination. And this is what Abraham says. Check this out. This is the end of verse 5. We will worship there. And then we'll come right back. I think this sentence reveals everything you need to know about Abraham. He didn't do a lot of maybe what I would have done. I would have gone and argued with God. I would have gone to explain how important Isaac was to me. I would beg. I would do all of those things. But Abraham says, no, 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 we're going to go worship there. We're going to respond to what God has done. We're going to thank him for who God is. And then there's this amazing phrase, and then he says, We will come right back. Like, dead or alive? Like, what does that mean? This is what I think it means. Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. And he and Isaac go up that mountain. Isaac is old enough to carry the wood up, he's not a little baby. Like, he's older. And he's walking up the mountain with his dad. And then they lay the wood down for the fire and they light the fire. And then Abraham reaches for the knife. And that's the moment that this voice from heaven calls, don't lay a hand on the boy. And God provided a ram for Abraham to sacrifice and to thank God for what he has done. And Abraham named the place He named it, The Lord Will Provide. So what relationship is the most important relationship in your life? And what if you were asked to prove it? What relationship do you think was the most important in Abraham's life? It wasn't Sarah. It wasn't Isaac. He's proving that. It was God. And you know what else? I think that God deepened Abraham's love for Isaac. Isaac. It's like losing somebody or getting having some close calls in a health care or an accident or something like that. And it makes that relationship seem all the more precious. Abraham saw it was God first, and he lived it out. And if it was God first, he believed in his heart of hearts that the Lord would provide. So what's the point? Put God first, but in the context of our family, do we really have to climb a mountain and pull a knife on our kids. Like, what does this have to do with replacing God in our hearts? Well, remember, the more we love something, the more it has the capacity to become an idol. Here's another way of saying it. We expect our family to provide for needs only God can provide. We expect our family to be God sometimes that's quite a responsibility. Sometimes there's a relationship in our lives, even though we realize it maybe we don't realize it, but there's a relationship in our lives that seems to be the determining factor in whether or not our lives are happy or our lives are sad. And we expect you know, the kid or the spouse or the boyfriend or the girlfriend or whatever, to provide for us only the things that God can provide for us. And we at times have these unrealistic or maybe unhealthy expectations for the most important people in our lives. And then when they don't live up to those expectations, because they can't live up to those expectations because they're not God, they can't provide those things, when they inevitably disappoint, then we get really upset. Or we have incredibly harsh criticism, or we unfairly compare those people with other people because our expectations aren't met. This can happen in all sorts of different areas. Now, recently I was a baseball coach for my son Asher's seventh and eighth year old teams, seven and eight year olds. That was an interesting experience. I remember after one game, Asher told me he didn't want to play baseball anymore. And it surprised me a little bit. He was getting a lot better. Like he was doing a really good job. And he seemed to be having a whole lot of fun, actually. And in this game in particular, he had played a really, really good game. He had made a couple of plays in the field with seven and eight-year-olds. Eight That's a huge deal. And he got a couple of hits. But the last at-bat that he had, he, he struck out. And I was bummed that he didn't get a hit. He had the chance, actually, to, to win the game. That's that's the dream, right? You know, bottom of the ninth, you know, two outs, you know, all that stuff. So we're driving home, and he says, I don't want to play baseball anymore, and I ask him why, and he said, I don't know. I struck out, and this is what he said. I'm sorry I let you down, dad. See, if we're not careful, we build our entire lives around someone else meeting the expectations we hope for them to meet. Our kids' accomplishments. Our spouse's words of affirmation, our parents' approval, whatever that might be. Those are all important things. But there are needs in our lives, foundational needs in our lives that people can't provide for us, at least perfectly. Things like hope and joy and peace and love that really only come from a relationship with God. And we have these unrealistic expectations, and then they're not met, and then we meet with disappointment or despair or dysfunction. Only God can provide for what we need. The Lord will provide. That's what Abraham says. So what's that most important relationship in your life? Because I think your answer, your honest answer, your real answer to that question is pretty foundational. And it's helpful to see where we might be replacing God. So here's the answer that I think becomes the top button on the shirt and puts everything else where it should be. It's just something simple like choose Jesus first. And the most important relationship we have in our lives is the one with Jesus. It isn't our spouse, our boyfriend, or whatever. It isn't our kids. It isn't our parents. It isn't friends. And we are intended... God designed us actually to show love to those people in the context of Jesus, in the context of Him being our top button. And if our relationship with Jesus is in proper order, if we're putting Him first, if we're doing our best to put Him first, then we find that every other relationship in our life as we go down the line in our shirt starts to line up. So how do we do this? like in the context of our relationships how do we choose jesus first now there are three things that we're just going to talk through that i think are helpful they this isn't an exhaustive list there are a lot of ways to choose jesus first but we're going to just talk about three i think really important ways here's the first one spend intentional time with jesus a lot of us know who jesus is but we do we actually know him Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus You know of Jesus But you don't really follow him I know a lot about Peyton Manning Like an embarrassing amount about Peyton Manning Like a lot Big fan of his Have his jersey I recognize him If I saw him walking down the street I would know him I'd walk up to him I would ask for his autograph But you know what I don't have? I don't have his phone number Because I don't really know him we approach Jesus like that sometimes. Like we know of him. Maybe we know some things about him. But we've never really said, Yeah, I know you. I will follow you. I believe in you. I mean, do you know Jesus? Do you believe? In Jesus? See, Jesus gives us, I think, this perfect picture of having these perfect priorities. See, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for where we fall short. Do you see the parallel there between Abraham and Isaac and God and Jesus? That's pretty amazing. So God's standard is actually holiness. It's perfection. And we can't live up to it. But Jesus did. And he died on the cross willingly because of his love For all of us. Not only did he die on the cross though, but he conquered death. He rose on the third day. And it's through Jesus that we don't have to worry about death or destruction. And that we can find these things like hope and joy and peace. That's what a relationship with Jesus does. It draws us closer and closer and closer to God. Until finally we're with God in heaven. It brings joy, peace, faith patience, love in a way that we could never find with another person. Now, maybe that's you. Maybe I'm describing you right now. I know of Jesus, but I've never really decided to follow Jesus. So right now, we're just going to give you an opportunity to do that. I encourage everybody to just bow your head with me. And if you want to follow Jesus, you want to surrender your entire life to Jesus right now, just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know I make mistakes and that there is nothing that I can do to save myself. At this moment, I place my trust in You. I surrender my life to You. I believe You died on the cross for me that you were raised from the dead. I believe you choose me and you ask me to choose you. I put you first today. Thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for your love. Amen. Now maybe you do know Jesus. Maybe you know Him, but you don't spend intentional time with Him. Like, it's hard to have a healthy relationship with somebody you don't spend any time with, right? Like, Evan and I went to college together. Really like Evan a lot. But I couldn't say that he is, like, intimately aware of all these things in my life. We haven't talked in a really long time. Like, and it would kind of be weird if I said, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of my one of my bestest, bestest, bestest friends. It's like, well, wait, 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 you like, don't spend any time with me. That's weird. See, without intentional time, it's hard to claim something as a high priority. So how do we spend intentional time with Jesus? And we're going to get super simple here. Maybe you know all of these things, and that's okay. But I would ask you to challenge yourself. Like, do you go about doing these things? Here are a lot of ways, but three ways I want to highlight spending intentional time with Jesus. Here's the first one. Worship. Praising God, responding to God, thanking God, going to church... Those are all ways to prioritize a relationship with Jesus. And these are things that are easy to say. I'll do it later. I got time later. I'll figure it out later. Another one like that is pray. Like actually talk to Jesus. Actually pray to him. Tell him what's on your mind. Ask him for help. Listen to what he has to say. In the same kind of vein, what about reading your Bible? Do the Ridge Reading Challenge, it's in our app. There's a reason that we talk about it. There's a reason that we do it. There's nothing magical about it. It's actually taking time and intentionally spending it with Jesus and what he has to say. Monday through Friday, the reason that we take the weekend off is so that you can catch up and you don't get discouraged. And I would encourage you, no matter where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, maybe you spend so much intentional time with Jesus. Here's my encouragement to you. One more minute. Take one more minute than you normally do. And if you did that every week for a year, 52 more minutes. And I almost didn't say 52 more minutes because some of us are in a situation where we're like, I don't know if I can do that. That seems that seems ridiculous. That seems like so much. Put Jesus first. One more minute. Spend intentional, as much as you can, distraction-free time. With Jesus. And if you're going, how do I do this? How do I go about, how do I go about figuring this out? We want to help, talk to us, but ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. Ask Him to help you as well. So spend intentional time with Jesus. What else could you do? Well, here's the second way. Challenge your family to choose Jesus first, too. And here's kind of the rub. We're okay with saying, okay, we need to put other people You know, put other people second, put Jesus first. But at the end of the day, some of us really, really, really like to be the most important person in someone else's life. We want the kid to adore us or we want the spouse to... To deeply desire us. We want the friend to can't live without us. We want to be really important. But if we're putting Jesus first, that fundamentally means that other people should put Jesus first too. So what does it look like for you to do that in the context of your family? Well, it's actually the same stuff we were talking about. Worship and pray and read. Worship with your family. Go to church with your family. Pray with your family. Not just at meals. One more minute. One more thing. Make it bigger. Read the Bible together. Do the Ridge Reading Challenge together. Download a Bible app and do a plan together. I'm going to add two more. Serve. Choose an opportunity here at the Ridge, in the community, whatever, and do it together as a family. Even something as simple as making like a a meal for a meals team. People who kind of need meals and like let your kids help, not to the level that you'd give somebody salmonella or something. But let them help. And give. See, teaching our family and teaching our close relationships what it means to be generous, what it means to put Jesus first in all areas. Talk about why you give, what it means to you to be generous. Normalizing giving can be a huge way to challenge somebody in your family those relationships to grow. So you're spending intentional time with Jesus. And you're challenging your family to choose Jesus first. Here's a third one. It's an important one. Surrender to God the relationships that impact you the most. What relationship matters the most to you? Think about the sacrifice that you're willing to make for that person. Like, we glorify that, don't we? Like, we say, no, like, we need to do that. That's important. Happy wife, happy life. We say those things. Now, think about the sacrifice that you're willing or maybe unwilling to make for Jesus. See, choosing Jesus first doesn't downgrade everybody else in your life, it actually aligns everybody else in your life. If there's a relationship where you choose Jesus first and you make that top button right, Everything else lines up. And some of us, myself included, we need reminded to surrender those relationships. So here's the way that you can do that. I'm just going to put a prayer right up here. You can say it right from where you're at. See, Jesus, I trust you to make me the person, the husband, the father, the pastor, the whatever, the person I need to be. I love these people dearly, but they will no longer be the meaning. Of my life. Only you will be. Amen. See the more we love something. The more capacity it has. To be an idol. The most important relationship we have in our lives. Isn't with all these other people. They're important. But it's really with Jesus. And when the top isn't right. Everything else is out of whack. Simple concept. Difficult to live out. Choose Jesus first. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you and I I admit to you, I confess to you that we don't get this right. I don't get this right. But we want to put you first. In every area of our life, wherever that is, just search our hearts right now and reveal to us, tell us, where we are replacing you. Help us give it all back. Help us surrender. And if it's a relationship, even a good thing, a healthy thing, something we desire deeply, whatever that is, we just want it all to be yours. That you are everything. You are enough. And God, we thank you for the way that you love us. You love us so perfectly that even in the midst of our mistake that we, that we are challenged to say, no, it is you first that you loved us so perfectly with Jesus on the cross that you've given us this example of what it means to put Jesus first. So we ask you for your help. Help us live this out in a way. That changes things. That we stop finding, hoping to find what we need in anything other than You. We love You. We surrender to You. And it's because of Jesus and what He did on the cross that we pray today. Amen.